It's always good to be in Waterford. I really like being here. It's fun to see you all live. I hear about you all the time. Now I can see you again. Um, I just want to say that uh, I've been invited to participate in the rock musical. Uh, I think that's really generous of everyone. Um, Tommy came out as a rock musical when I was in college, so I, I'm, I'm a professional in rock musicals, so I think I'll be great. I have two lines in the first one, uh, the, the June 15th show. You want to make sure you're there for my two lines there. I'm trying to memorize them even as we speak, and uh, we, we do cameo appearances, so that's the only one I'll be in, so you'll have to make the 15th, so that's, that's all I have to say about that. I don't know why I'm saying it, but I just thought you'd like to know. So, why is it that difficult things happen? Why, why is it that, um, that God takes us through difficult times? Why is it that we have times in our life where we struggle? Why would God allow that? I hear this question all the time. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God put me through this? What would be the reason for that? My, my wife and I are at the demographic now where we hear from friends we haven't heard from for a while, and 50% and, um, of the time the news isn't very good. Um, it's a friend, long-time acquaintance that uh, is maybe going through some physical difficulties and illness. Uh, sometimes it's news that that person that we've known for years, decades, is, is no longer with us, passed away. Those are those are difficult messages to have. Those those are those are those are sad tidings. They always cause me, and I'm sure they cause you to reflect. What you know? Why this isn't easy to go through these times. I had a friend of mine in my office recently who, guys I've known for years, I was in ministry most of his life, and, and uh, just a good guy, and uh, working through some things with his family, and, and then at the end of our time together, he says to me, um, hey, I've, I've got this news. Uh, I went to the doctors last week, and, and it's one of these checkups where I had a little bit of a problem with my throat, and... and um, and uh, they looked at it, did some tests, and the doctor called the next day. It's always pretty sobering when the doctor calls the next day. And here he was called back in, and uh, he put, had the uh, message that uh, it looked serious, and it was. He had cancer of the throat. He says he's in perfect health, just a, a good, good, healthy guy, and all of a sudden he's got this really, really hard and troubling news. What do you do with that? I'm looking at my friend, I'm going, oh, I can't, I can't imagine how that must feel. And talked about what it, what it would be like to go through uh, this tough time. The Old Testament's a book of challenges. It's a book of hardship many times, a book of trials. This isn't, this isn't just sort of like you know, going through life happy all the time. This is going through life having some difficulties, having some things happen that aren't always that great. Along with working out God's eternal plan for, for you and for me, here, here he's chosen people of Israel. They're, they're called on to, to demonstrate God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. But here's, here, here you have floods, you have battles, you have massacres, you have deceptions, you have a bunch of unhealthy behavior. People who, as a whole, couldn't stay faithful to their call. There are highlights in the Old Testament. We love the highlights. David, Joseph... Esther, Ruth, Daniel, Nehemiah—oh, those are those are our heroes. Those those are the those are the the, the, the lovely people that, that we see. But it's a struggle sometimes to to go through and go. Oh wow, these, these people—they had a difficult time. 
being faithful to their call. One of the most difficult roles in Scripture is the role of prophet. Now, we have modern-day prophets, people that proclaim the word and, and can speak to our culture, and people that I love, you love, I'm sure you know names of men and women who, who are so able and, and capable of doing that, and, and uh, those prophets are really fun to listen to. The prophets in the Old Testament were not popular people as a rule. These were people that just didn't really connect that well in terms of their, you know, their own personal popularity because most of the time these men were called on to preach to this people the fact that they were unfaithful, that they, they were disappointing uh, God, and that there was, fun news, judgment on the way. There's going to be some results in terms of their disobedience. So we're going to look today at uh, one of those prophets. And we're, as Jeff said, we're in this series, the Minor Prophets. Minor Prophets aren't lesser prophets. Um, minor Prophets are just called that, the, the 12 that are in the Old Testament, because their, their prophecies, the written form is, is, is shorter than the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And uh, so Hosea is one of these, these prophets. Hosea is, is a Curious name, by the way. Hosea is the name that literally means the Lord saves. Isn't that a great name for a person? That's the name, the Lord saves. And he is called on uh, to have one of the, I think, one of the most lengthy services of, of prophecy in, in all of Scripture. In fact, we've got a, a chart, a, a timeline that will show you. Uh, he begins his ministry around seven, around seven, in the 780s B.C. and goes all the way for, for 60 years into the 720s. Uh, BC. And Hosea was one of the few prophets that prophesied to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom, uh, the ten northern tribes of, of Israel, this, this kingdom split apart after Solomon died, and uh, there, there was uh, all sorts of factions that broke off. Northern ten tribes were called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah, two tribes there, Judah and Benjamin. And uh, Hosea prophesied to both kingdoms. And the next chart will show you a little bit of the timeline uh, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians right around uh, the 720s B.C., right at the end of Hosea's uh, prophetic ministry. And uh, Samaria, that was the capital city of the northern kingdom, the Assyrians came in and they, they took these, these people captive. And, and they're called the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel because these people never really came back. Not, not in terms of the way the southern kingdom came back after the Babylonian captivity. Babylonian exile was right around, started right around 600 B.C., was, was technically there about 587 through 539 B.C., and then, and then the southern two tribes then return and, and populate the land. So Hosea is, is a prophet. He prophesies, as we'll see in, in, in the text, to many kings, and he is a... Um, He's a, he's a man who was asked to do, I think, one of the strangest things in all of Scripture. And outside of Jonah, Hosea is probably the most dramatic of all the, of all the minor prophets. Because Hosea was asked by God to go and uh, marry, enter uh, marriage with a woman of ill repute, a woman who was most likely a prostitute. So I want us to look at the text, uh, starting with Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. If you're like me, I sort of fumble through the... Uh, Minor prophets, where is, where is Zechariah? I don't know, but Hosea is on page one, 1,394 if you have my Bible, but you don't. Um, oh, it's also in your bulletins, too. I want to read the whole first chapter, and then I want to read the third chapter, which is just a short chapter. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. 
The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Berei, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again, gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. And after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I'm not your God. And then over to chapter 3, starting with verse 1, the Lord said to me, go, this is Jose speaking, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn their other gods to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to, be, to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. This is the word of God. So Hosea's name means the Lord saves, but there are some interesting names here. Uh, Gomer's name and also the name of his children. Gomer, interesting, tough word to translate in the Hebrew. Gomer has this, this aura of this meaning of perfection gone wrong. It's, 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 it's an interesting nuanced word. It, 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 and many scholars think it's, it's just uh, a name that says, hey, um, I am a complete failure. My life is always going wrong. I'm always making the wrong decision. It's not a great name to have, but it's descriptive, right? And then she named uh, Hosea and, and Gomer named their children. First name is Jezreel, which means the Lord scatters. There's a valley in, in uh, Israel, northern Israel, uh, Valley of Jezreel. Uh, Renee and I were in Israel about a year ago, and we were on Mount Carmel, and you look down from Mount Carmel into this vast valley. It just goes on for miles and miles, beautiful, fertile land. Uh, but that's the valley that uh, the Assyrians came in and uh, took captive the northern ten tribes of Israel. And that's when the Lord scattered his people, those northern ten tribes. That's the first son's name. Uh, the second child is a daughter, Lo-Ruhamah. I don't uh, recommend this name for your daughters. Not loved. That's sort of a brutal name, right? Descriptive. And then the third son, Lo-Ami. Uh, not love. No, yeah, Lo-Ruhama Lo is, is um, uh, the name that uh, means not love, not shown mercy. Lo-Ami, not my people. Not my people. 
So in this book, chapters one and three are the only chapters written in prose style. This is, this is just regular story style. And then chapters two and then chapters four through 14 are written in, in beautiful uh, Hebrew poetry. They're, they're, they are poetic books. And, and Hosea uses this, this poetic form to prophesy. Hosea is also, just to mention this, is, the, is one of the most oft-quoted books in the New Testament. Interesting. Jesus quotes Hosea in Matthew chapter 2 and 9. Uh, Paul quotes Hosea in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Peter quotes Hosea in, in 1 Peter 2. And all these references in, uh, that refer back to Hosea's writing, there's, there's a chord, there's a theme that follows through this because this book is not just a call uh, to, to Israel to... to repent and, and a call to judgment, but it's a, it's a reminder of some very, very important things. It's a, it, it's a, it's a real-life illustration of, of what it means to have hope and what it means to have salvation. In that vein, we're called to a life to emulate uh, this calling, what God calls us to. So there are three words, three themes that I see in this story and that come through this book. And uh, the first one is the word Mercy. Mercy. Here's a woman who is serially unfaithful. Just bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And yet God tells Hosea to go and join himself with this woman. She has a poor reputation, a reputation that, would, that uh, ostracized her from any normal and healthy relationships. Uh, it, no family support, no protection. And women who were prostitutes were on their own in a strict and judgmental culture. They, they, they could barely survive. But God, instead of telling Jose to go to her and denigrate her, shun her, he says, go and offer protection to her. When a woman marries a man in this Hebrew culture, uh, she comes under his protection. And uh, the husband then is responsible to keep her safe and, and, and to help her prosper. And, he, and Hosea marries this woman and uh, does what God asks him to do. He does what a husband ought to do. And this mercy theme pops up in Hosea's writing all through his prophecy. And, and, and Jesus in Matthew 9 and Matthew 12 quotes Hosea in this, this way. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God's telling Hosea, look, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to be merciful to you, and I want you to be a person, and Israel, obviously, a people of mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. There is a mercy theme in the book of Hosea. When's the last time you were shown mercy? When's the last time that you didn't get something that you did deserve? Years ago, I, I had a good friend, actually a good couple friend of Renee and mine. We uh, knew them just, uh, he was a great guy. We, we uh, uh, had a working relationship together for several years, and then he moved to, to uh, a state that was quite distant from where we were, and, and uh, I didn't get to see him as, as often, I, I, but I always had good memories. And every time I traveled to his state and his location, I... I was, had an open invitation to stay with him and his family, which I did. They were just lovely, lovely people. And uh, we would, we would um, talk and reminisce and just have a good time. And then, then there was this one time I showed up. 
and he met me at the door of his house, and, and uh, I could tell something was wrong. And uh, he said, uh, before you go in and say hi to my wife and kids, he said, I need to talk to you personally. I said, okay. And uh, he took me aside, side room of his house, and he sat down. I could tell he wasn't doing it. I said, what is wrong? He said, well, he said, here's what's happened. He said, you know, we've been involved in a church here uh, in, in our city, and uh, I've, they've asked me to be in leadership. I've tried to do a good job in that. I was on the trustee board. They asked me to, to be treasurer of, uh, of, of the church funds. And he said a few months ago, he says, I was really having a tough time in terms of my business, and, and uh, I had some expenses coming up I, I couldn't pay, and, and uh, I didn't want to have to face those consequences. So in a very, very poor decision that I made, I, I, I had access to the church funds. I just, I just, in my mind's eye, I just, I was going to borrow some money and then pay it right back. I just needed something to float me some money. And you know how those stories go. He took that money and uh, the money in his business did not come in. And then he took some more. That money didn't come in and he took some more and it just snowballed on him. Until by the time the church did the audit, there were probably tens of thousands of dollars that he had taken from that church account. You can imagine the shock of the men and women with whom he worked, the humiliation that he had as he had to stand before these people and admit what he had done. And uh, I said, well, what happened? And they said, well, they said they were going to meet and then decide what to do. And then he was called back about a week later. And uh, he said, tell me what you've decided, because it's a felony offense. He could have been prosecuted. And they said, well, what we decided to do is we're going to, um, we are going to not do anything. We're not going to call any authorities. We're not going to, to do that to you. Um, we're going to forgive you for what you did. And uh, we are going to um, just allow you to pay this money back as you're able over the years. And we're just going to trust that you'll do that. My friend, of course, is crying as he's telling me this. And uh, I'm not saying that that was something that caused him to, to be happy right away. There were devastating circumstances, of course, and difficulty in his marriage. But he said, I was shown mercy. And these people, by extending mercy, changed the trajectory of this, my friend's life, this man's life. Hosea shows Gomer mercy. He doesn't treat her as she deserves. He treats her the way God treats us. Second thing I see in this is love. Love. When Gomer succumbs to her old habits and patterns, here she is, she's married, she has these three children. And I, you know, I don't know this for certain. This is my conjecture, but I, this is what I believe. I believe... I believe Hosea wasn't just going through the motions. I think Hosea loved this woman in spite of what she had done. And I, he has these children. He's, he's being the husband he needs to be. And then Gomer says, nope, not enough. I'm leaving. And she goes back to her old lifestyle. And she most likely goes from man to man. It's discarded, discarded, discarded until finally she ends up in a slave market. She has no other option but to sell herself into slavery so she can survive. It's a last-ditch attempt at survival. And yet Hosea shows her loves. And 
God instructs him to go to the slave market and purchase her back. The Apostle Paul quotes Hosea in Romans 9, 25, 26, and Peter in 1 Peter 2, 10 with this statement. I will call them my people who are not my people and my loved one who is not my loved one. In other words, what God's saying is, hey, you rejected me and you said you didn't want to be my people anymore, but I'm calling you back. You didn't love me anymore, but I'm still going to love you. And I'm going to make sure that you understand that that love is there. Gomer forfeited all the protection and comfort that Hosea offered when she chose to run off. But in perhaps the most profound picture we have of Jesus' love for us, Hosea goes and buys back his unfaithful wife. She once again, through no merit of her own, is accepted back into her family and receives a love that she doesn't deserve. A picture of the love that God gives us unconditionally. I have two younger brothers. Uh, they're twins, Tom and Tim the twins. Don't ask me why my parents did that. They did, but that's, they're old now, <laughs> like me. They're in their 60s, and, and uh, uh, we're all different people, but we're all part of the same family. My uh, youngest brother, the younger of the twins, Tim, he uh, got married before my other brother and I got married, and, and uh, uh, by that marriage, he had a daughter and a son. And uh, as time went on, that marriage ran into difficulties. There were problems that he attempted to reconcile, couldn't be reconciled. That marriage tragically ended in divorce. And even worse, uh, there was difficulty in terms of his relationship with his children, his son and his daughter by that marriage. And a and, uh, few years, they, they attempted to forge some kind of relationship. He attempted to forge some kind of relationship with his kids. But uh, by the time they got into their teen years through circumstances I won't have time to go into, basically the relationship was broken off and he stopped seeing them all together. No contact at all. He eventually remarried and had two children, two, two daughters by that marriage, and, and um, through that very, very difficult time, God used it to renew his spiritual life. It's a good story there. But my brother called me, my brother Tim called me about six months ago. And he said, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said, what's that? He said, well, well, my daughter called, his daughter, one of his daughters by his second marriage, and, and she said, Dad, I heard from Jake. And Jake is the name of his son he had by his first marriage. He said, how in the world did you hear from him? Had no contact with him for years. And she said, Facebook. Tell me of Facebook, huh? How about Facebook, huh? And uh, I got this random call. Are you Carolyn Keller? She said, yes. She said, is Tim Keller your father? She said, yes. He asked some more details. He said, well, I'm Jake. I'm your half-brother. Never met him before. You know what he said? He says, I want to contact my dad. I want to get back in touch with him. I said, asked my brother, I said, what are you going to do? He says, well, I've got a phone call coming from him, and then I think we'll try to get together with him. I said, okay. Got a phone call. It was very, very cordial, and he finally got together with his son and his son's wife and their children. Um, my brother became an instant grandpa at that meeting, and uh, he hadn't seen his son in 28 years, 28 years. 
And during that meeting, uh, my nephew looked at my brother and he said, uh, Dad, he said, uh, sorry. I'm sorry it took so long. I thought about you a lot. I'm sorry it took so long. And my brother said back to him, it's okay, I'm sorry too. It's a double acceptance. And a love that's always there, but now it can be realized again. Mercy, love. And there's the last theme in Hosea. It's really interesting. In this prophetic utterance of judgment and, and, and calamity to come, there's this sense of victory in it. And this quote from Hosea that's used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, you've heard it most likely at funeral services. We, we talk about it in terms of our faith. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? That's from Hosea. Death, where's your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The third theme is mercy, there's love, there's victory. Can you imagine Gomer sunk so low that she's standing now at a slave market ready to be sold? the lowest, I would imagine, the lowest point of her life. And out of the corner of her eye, she sees a man and she realizes it's her husband who's come to this slave market. And I don't know what was going through her mind, but I can imagine it would be something like this. Oh, I wonder if he's just coming to shame me, to mock me, to tell me what I've, that I'm going to get what I deserve. And so she's probably looking very warily at him. And then he comes forward and he pays 15 silver shekels and two loads of grain, and says, I want her back. I want her back. And maybe what she was thinking then is, oh, great, now I'm being brought back, and now he's going to make me a slave and make me suffer. None of that happens. Hosea, chapter 3, says to her, you are to live, hmm, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And then he says this. Can you imagine him saying this? And I'll behave the same way toward you. I'm going to still be faithful. He didn't have to say that. He didn't have to extend that love to her. There is a victorious tone to that statement. Then he says, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, of course, prophesying that Jesus will come and he will redeem them. And then he says, and they will come trembling, trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. When's the last time you trembled before the Lord? When's the last time you trembled, period? Last time I trembled, I was traveling on I-4. True story. <laughs> I was going to an office we just opened up in Dr. Phillips. I had to travel down there. I, I had some morning appointments. I left at 5.30 in the morning to beat the traffic on I-4. Just so you know, there's always traffic on I-4. It's eternal. And so I'm just driving, and it's under construction. It's, it's like Le Mans, you know? It's just like back. It's just you doing this the whole time, traveling at fairly high speeds. I thought I was going at pretty good speed. 
If you own a pickup truck, I'm not being, I'm not being negative, but there are pickup trucks just flying by me. And I'm scared to death. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be dead on I-4, right? I got to my office, I just I was trembling. Also glad to be alive. When's the last time you came trembling before the Lord? When's the last time God's holiness really hit your heart? And you realized he's the one who's merciful, and he's the one who loves, and he's the one who invites you to victory. Repentance leads to victory. I visited with my friend who had cancer, and he just recently, about, about a month, month and a half ago, he'd been through treatment, and he'd, you know, he'd, I tried to keep up with him. I said, well, what's the deal? And he told me all the stuff that's been happening and what they were doing. And uh, I said, well, what's the prognosis? I mean, how are you? He said, I think, he says, I think it's pretty good. It's not aggressive, and they think it's under control. And I just started to cry. So what are you crying for? I said, I'm crying because you're living. I get to have you around. Then my friend made this statement. He says, I'm a man of deep faith. He says, I'm surprised at how this has made me so upset, wondering what God was doing. And then I didn't know how grateful I could ever be as God brings me through this. So, application. You, f you feel like a complete failure? Feel like your life's a mess? I want to tell you something, and I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, God's mercy and love is still available to you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. He always is inviting you and me to experience it, to experience victory through it. The call to faithfulness remains constant. God always calls us to faithfulness. Or what trial is God taking you through? What difficult circumstance do you have now? Do you, do you feel he's uncaring and unloving? Do you feel he's not answering you? It's hard because of your pain, your sadness. Jose is a reminder that God can take us through the most harrowing of circumstances. Wars, illnesses, betrayals, captivities, humiliations, and still assure us of his mercy and love and lead us ultimately to victory. It's a celebration to arrive at the calling to which he so graciously called us. So I want to end with the final words of this book, chapter 14, the final words Hosea says. I think they're, they're, they're a call to each of us as we see these themes running through his book. He, he says this, who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. Here's, here's the call. You ready? The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous will walk in them. So I call you, and I accept God's call for myself, to walk in the ways of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for this man. Thank you for this call. And I would pray that we, everyone here, each man, each woman, would understand more fully what it means to receive your mercy, to experience your love, 
and enter into victory. Lord, as we come to your table today, as we celebrate the most loving and merciful act ever done on the face of this earth, I pray that we be reminded that it's through your Son that we can have the true taste of what it means to be loved people. Help us take the next steps. Help us to answer your call. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.